are listening to This Afia Beast. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Peter rang me up and he said, um, Hello, Donnie, you know the interview you did the other day? I said, Yes. He said, um, They haven't offered you Luke Skywalker. I said, oh, he said, they've offered you a gold robot, he said. Um, uh, anyway, so I've turned it down. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what do you mean you've turned it down? He said, well, they're not even going to see your face, darling. He said, it could be a shop assistant in Woolworths. And it is absolutely no, no, Woolworths was around at the time. <laughs> All of us have been lucky to get a job there when we're out of work. But anyway, um, uh, so I said, well, w- what have you turned down? He said, it's a film called Star Wars, darling. And um, they were they were only offering you £100 a week for five weeks and uh, and, and half a percent. So anyway, I don't think anything's going to happen to it. Uh, so anyway. Unbelievable. So uh, I, I, I turned it down. Well, I've done some maths, Peter. Yeah. Because I know in the book that you say that you don't want to know what you <laughs> oh, missed correctly. out on by no. not being C3. <laughs> Would you like to know? <laughs> Roughly. Calculation, a rough estimate. I put it at a million English pounds. <laughs> it's a bit more than that, I think. Oh my giddy yes. Well, anyway, so there we are. Um, celebrating 50 years in the theatre, <laughs> a 51-year-old gem of a man, Peter Burke, actor, friend, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, not only am I celebrating 50 years since leaving the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, I, I'm also celebrating the 50th anniversary of my 21st birthday. I'm, <laughs> I'm seven, seven, 71. Is that the one that you celebrate the most? <laughs> what was that day like? Can you remember it? I Oh gosh, I do. I, I, I was at drama school at the time and because um, I, I, I should be 72 this year officially. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents came to see a final show, which was Next Time I'll Sing to You by James Saunders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took my parents, not I, uh, my parents took the cast of us uh, out for a meal in Kennington, which was mm. um, a place called Kipps, long since closed, but it was um, lovely um, settles and sawdust floor and, and mm. very good English cooking. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the person you would have heard of in that show, mm. and who's now sadly dead, but Ben Cross mm. was... was uh, a fellow in that. From your graduating class? From my graduating class, mm. yeah. Um, Still friends with any of them? Or, oh, yes. Or mortal enemies? <laughs> well, no, no. I, I mean, I discovered now that often there's a great deal of competition in drama schools, right. but we were all, we were in a very diverse bunch. Mm. Um, uh, we, we didn't clash in any kind of way. Mm. Um, I... I tended to play the character parts. And of course, 50 years ago, you were trained to go into rep well, and yeah. to do, do 12, 12 shows in a row yeah. um, where you were an old man, you, were about, you might have dragged up to play the dame in pantomime, and then suddenly you're in a musical. So mm-hmm. it, um, your versatility was your great thing. Right. And there was a sort of career path 
much more traditional of a sort of ladder of a sort of you do this and then this thing follows next and you do it, that and it, so on and so forth. And that exactly right. Exist today. Um, my wonderful agent at the time, uh, Peter Crouch, mm-hmm. Gaines, not the footballer, again <laughs> <laughs> long since dead, sadly. But um, but he said, yes, darling, you go into rep for two years and, yeah. and then we'll uh, get you some television, and which is exactly what he did. Right. Um, and he said, you want to join one of the major companies, um, which again, I, I mean, lots of it was kind of fluke because mm. um, when I joined the RSC mm. in 1975, um, they'd seen me in a telly on the Sunday and, and suddenly I was, right. I was called in. You know, yeah, hello, actually, hello, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, sort of, it's called the recency effect, that, isn't it? Right. Um, um, but so one thing led to another, um, mm. and and uh, I sadly um, got divorced in 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 1980. And mm. again, my agent said, um, "Great for you to be at the National Theatre. There's subsidised food. There's a place to park. <laughs> you have some kind of stability, <laughs> you know." But that doesn't happen now. No, of course no, not. No. No. no, and that was. Am I correct in saying that was Kate Nichols? That was Kate Nichols. Who has also been on this show. Oh, wow. She lives in Italy now. She does in Rome. And exactly. And she was a lion researcher. That's right. I had her on the show, I don't know, maybe episode 40, something like that, back in the day. Wow. It was an amazing interview. She's a wonderful woman. And I remember, I was reading your book, Stop Me If I've Told You This Before, available at the Globe. Thank you for that. Um, And I saw her mentioned, I was like, wait, the same one? And yeah. lo and behold, that's it was. absolutely right. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Are you yeah. still? Um, We're in still good, very good friends. Yeah. Yes, and we share this wonderful daughter and three wonderful grandchildren. So, oh. um, so and and, right. a, and a son-in-law. Oh no, we, we're great mates. Yeah, um, you couldn't not love Kate. No, she's, she's brilliant. She's absolutely. It was an it was an amazing episode. Super Her life story is oh. so interesting. Oh. Incredible. Extraordinary. Um, absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, I believe, because we've we've gone to the RSC, we've gone to 1980, we've yeah. gone to we haven't mentioned the Globe yet, which obviously we have to. But should we go yeah. slightly yeah. more chronologically? Yes, because if you'd um, like to, in your well, we don't have to strictly, but I do want to ask a few questions because in your book, stop me if I've told you this before, available at the Globe and online, um, you do mention some interesting things about your childhood. And yes. I think, you know, we can build up to Harrison Ford and Margaret Thatcher and, and all of those great <laughs> stories, which are fantastic and I can't wait. Uh, although I do have to just say, you do say, even before you start the book, yeah. uh, that hopefully having them written down means you won't have to perform them again too often. <laughs> I'm going to slightly... That's, keep... in, that's in front of my children. Okay, I, I think, right. yeah, yeah, that was the... So it's okay if I ask yeah, you to, yes, to do the hits. Yes. Great. Um, yeah, because... So, you, number one, you went to school with Osama Bin Laden's dad. And then number two... You uh, went... uh, Osama Bin Laden's older brother. Older brother. Even yes, Salim. Salim. Uh, he and I were, were good friends. And he uh, had seven wives at 18. He... <laughs> I I had really rather bad acne and no girlfriend, and and he oh. um, had seven wives who used to come on um, Exiat weekends, yeah. uh, and they took over the Georgian Pilgrim pub in 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 Glastonbury. Yeah. Um, people call it Glastonbury. They do, um, but yeah. Glastonbury, uh, and um, and and just lived there for the weekend. Uh, what an extraordinary... I know. I was incredibly <laughs> envious. But do you know, I mean, what is... If if 
Salim hadn't died in, yeah. in, a, in a plane crash. Because he was the eldest, right? He was the eldest son of the principal wife of his yeah. father. His father um, was blind, uh, and he used to be led round on, on parents' days, as we call them, mm-hmm. by t- his two principal wives. Mm. And at the time we were at school together, mm. his father owned all of American Electric and all of American Airlines. Jesus. He was a, a very, very wealthy man. Right. Um, and he died in a plane crash. And two years later, a plane crash, I should say again, oh, you know, because right. he had an airline. Yeah. Um, and his son died two years, two years later. And had he not, uh, Osama bin Laden would not no. have inherited because he wasn't in direct line. Right. And Osama bin Laden... I went to a school called Millfield, very extraordinary progressive school in the sixties. Well. Yes. Nineteen yeah. um, uh, sixty-three, I went there. But but um, uh, and Osama bin Laden went to a, a what <laughs> snobby school people call a minor public school. Oh, uh, but okay. he went to public school here as well. I didn't know. Yeah, that. and it was quite a sort of lad in the night. Did you, Did you meet him? Or just, I never just met Solemn. him. I never met him. Did just, Solemn just, ever talk about his brother? Nope, no, not at all. Not not to my not. You know, right. not not to me anyway. Right, 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 right. right. And we used to um, we used to travel uh, most days from Street to Glastonbury mm. uh, on the bus. He was in a house in Glastonbury called mm. Chin, Chindid. Um, and there was another fellow, we'd try and sit at the back of the bus, three of us, of Bob Ho, who is Stanley Ho's son, uh, and um, Stanley Ho was Mr. Hong Kong. Uh, um, and when, when Hong Kong went back to China, uh, Stanley Ho was interviewed. He had all the gambling in Macau, and, and uh, <laughs> Stanley Ho was interviewed, and he said, you know, how, how is this affecting you? And he said he was losing a million pounds a day. Oh now I don't that he had that to lose was this, yeah, this how is, many days this, can Bob go? <laughs> <laughs> the bliss of the abyss. Millfield was an extraordinary school. I in did want days. to ask because I mean, obviously, I want to ask about Glastonbury as well because your your dad was Michael Evers's uh, doctor at That's the right. very first. The yeah. Hilton Fair. That's right, Hilton um, Fair. Incredible. Yeah. Um, yes. But the school as well, though, um, sounds very straight. Now, look, I'm just going to read a, a, a little quote. Actually, maybe I'll have you read a quote. I don't know. It's your book. but it's No, all, you can read it. It's, uh, <laughs> where is it? It's um, It sounds very strange. There were no rules at the school, so you were expected to discipline yourself. And that's a direct quote. That is um, true. What does that mean, Peter? Um, <laughs> does well, that mean you it, don't know maths? They, they said, uh, they, uh, <laughs> Boss Meyer, Jack Meyer, um, who was a very eccentric, very big genius, um, and, and knew, I mean, really knew a lot about every one of us. Um, mm. And he said at my interview for the school, he said, um, there are no rules at this school. The only thing is that whatever you do, you must be able to do in public, which was actually quite good. Rule. So you know, you rule. you you could kiss your girlfriend right. as long as you weren't behind a closed right. door, and that was the only rule in the school. You were expected to sort of mm. self-govern and 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 behave and be kind to each other, right. and it worked to treat. There must have been pitfalls. There must have been people who couldn't work no, it out. Right? In the time that I was there, yeah, uh, there were absolutely no accidents at all. Absolutely so what it reminded me of, I remember watching this documentary about, I can't remember the name of the school, but there was 
a school where it was like the, the pupils set the curriculum kind of thing. Yeah. And they'd be, you know, smoking and not being we in were allowed class to class and all that. So it was a bit like that then. Oh, this, absolutely this like but that. But this seemed totally lawless, right? That, that was like The school you're talking about. The school about. I'm talking about. Yeah. But yours, I get the impression, was not like that from, from the book. No. I mean, we, we had a... We had we were given a chart at the beginning of every um, school term, mm-hmm. and we decide whether we wanted to do what classes at what time, and then you'd go to a, a tutor. Mm. Um, there were very small classes, only sort of five or six in a class, oh, wow. um, and you'd go to a tutor and say, um, "Can I have an English class with you on Tuesday afternoon at four till five? Right. And he'd say, "Well, I've already got." Oh yes, no, no, I can fit you in, Burke, right. or Peter, or whatever. Wow. So yeah, that's that's the way it happened, and you know, that's lots of people uh, did mainly art classes, or mm-hmm. or, or yeah. um, had you know class time off. Yeah. Um, it, it, to the uh, parents of the children there, um, uh, Bosmeyer would say, "I will find one thing." that they can do this your child can do well mm. and when i find that everything else will follow and mm. and funnily enough my my sister had been very unhappy at a girls public school mm. and uh, i mean really really unhappy and been put in for her o levels far too young and been lectured you know for the good of the school they were getting their stats up and and, right. and things you know well we had a girl get uh, 11 o levels at age 14 that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and um jack so so she um, asked to leave and my parents found millfield which is again not far from shepton manor where i grew up mm. um and um at the meeting um boss said to my sister he said now listen um what sports do you like and my sister said i don't like sports at all and she said he said but if you had to do one it doesn't matter what it is what would you do i'd recently got a bow and arrow and and um Mm. and sarah was not quite as good as i was right uh, at the time because i was practicing right uh and she said archery and he said, fine. fine. And, and a year later, she was Somerset Junior Archery Champion, <laughs> which was such an athlete. Yeah. She came home with the hugest silver cup. I remember it well because we were in, in those days, you blacked a room out to watch the television. Um, and and, and um, we were all sitting in the dark when she came in and said, look what I've got. And of course, we couldn't see it. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, and that, that led her... Her, she, that was her identity in the mm. school, and and suddenly all the exams followed, and and she right she, because you feel comfortable and centered within yourself, and yeah. what do they call it? Uh, flourishing, human flourishing, eudaimonia, I believe is the Greek term. That, it it yes. enables it, doesn't it? Because yeah. you feel a bit more in charge of yourself, and like you're able to sort of follow the things that interest you, of course, and then all those offshoots that come from it. So do you think that could work today? Are there places like that today? It feels I don't feels think like... I think it's a very well respected school still. Mm. Um there when I was there half the uh, kids were on scholarship. Mm. Um and the other half were paying for it. I mean right. sort of, I don't know how many kids the Bin Ladens were paying for but <laughs> but probably 8 or 10 something right. like that. Yeah. Um let's say 7. <laughs> one for each one. <laughs> <laughs> one for each one. <laughs> Very good. Yes, extraordinary. Um, so yeah, that's that's the way it that, that's the way it worked, and 
and and Jack Meyer boss uh, said to Lou Grade, he said, uh, who who Lou Grade wanted to send his children. He said, well, yes, you can send them as soon as I have a television studio on the land here, <laughs> and and it duly happened, and there, there it go. is. It's the Grade studio. But yeah, it was a very very sporty school as well, mm. and that's what often it was kind of famous. Are you, are, you, are you sporty? After no, I used to fence because I thought that would be useful for acting. Right. Um, uh, I've done a bit of stage fighting, so but not enough, know. really. Not <laughs> enough. <laughs> it is fun when they give you a sword and say yeah, you can play a- now. <laughs> absolutely. And, and someone to help you wield it. Yes, yeah. Safely. Um, but, so you weren't a particularly studious child. No, then. I wasn't. I was very dyslexic. Uh, ah, and, in um, a time when that wasn't really understood. No, yes. Right. Um, I, in fact, um, when I left my boarding school, which was a prep school in the Quantock Hills, which is long since closed, but was um, a well-respected school at the time, mm. um, <clears throat> I failed my common entrance. Now, I, almost no one fails their common entrance. That's rare. I mean, it's as incredible. in an F, as in you didn't do... You I, it was a total fail. Tail. Yeah, what, total what fail. Um, well, that's when um, I, I... My sister was interviewing for for um, uh, for Millfield, and, and I went along as well. And, and actually, um, Jack <laughs> said to my father, he said, um, you're a general practitioner and country general practitioner he said I imagine you earn this was 1963 I imagine you earn about four thousand pounds a year and my father said that's uh, pretty accurate and he said what about a thousand for the two of them and, and so I I yeah that's the, but but wow. uh, for me to to gain entrance I had to have what was then called an intelligence test I don't know if it's still called right. that well, so, so a sort of IQ test what, IQ test stuff it was. where they kind of ask you a broad range of stuff to yeah. make sure you're not you know missing a few screws so yeah you exactly. had enough screws there but you couldn't sort of employ them in a sort of it, traditional way because that, of your dyslexia. That, that's a very polite way of saying it. <laughs> Thick as pigs. <laughs> no, there was a guy called um, it was it was a guy called Livy Noble who who mm-hmm. lived in uh, Marlborough, and I was driven there by my mother and father, and uh, and they said, you know, he's going to ask you a lot of questions, and um, listen to the questions and uh, answer them, you know, uh, answer them. Uh, as quickly as you can, and yeah. you know, sensibly as you can. Anyway, I, the only question I can remember he asked was, he said, I want you to name as many objects as you possibly can in the next 60 seconds. Mm. And I just went round the room, naming, every, yeah, yeah. naming everything that he had. And he yeah. thought I was super bright. And, and I, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I remember my mother saying, well, he thought you were bright enough to be a professor at a university, which was um, the ultimate goal for her. Um, of course. But, um, yes, no, I, one thing that dyslexia has helped with is, is, mm. is learning lines, because mm. um, it, it takes me a while to work out what is actually written down. Mm. And, and it, if I get it in order in my head, it's pretty much there. Right. Um, I, can learn, I can still uh, learn really quite quickly. Yeah. So that, that's challenges, I think, probably a preconception a lot of people would have. My brother is dyslexic. Oh, is he? Yes. In, incredibly bright. And he, thankfully, when he went to school, it was much more understood. Yeah. Better understood, whatever. Um, but, but he still has problem with, with, with reading and, and with retention of that stuff. So he learns yeah. in, a, in a kind of a different way from, from me, anyway. Everyone yes. learns in different ways. Um, 
But do you do you have sort of tricks? I mean, the way I learn lines is audio. I have to record them. Oh, do and, you? And hear them yeah. back. For some yeah. reason, that's the thing that works for me. My friend yeah. Chris, he's got a photographic memory. He sees a page; it's already in there. Gosh. Um, well, what's your method? Do you just um, <coughs> right? <Yeah>. So um, <laughs> tell me the tricks. <laughs> when when I um, uh, when Sean Holmes, who has been my director of the last five shows I've done at the Globe, uh, at the Globe yes, since um, twenty nineteen, uh, he asked me whether I would. Um, be in a Midsummer Night's Dream uh, about three months before we started mm. um, and he asked me to play Oberon so I thought well I'll, I'll learn six lines a day between now and then um, uh, and uh, so this this is going as I say I've worked with him a, a great many times mm. ten times probably mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I learned Oberon uh, long before we started rehearsal. Mm. My technique has always been, and, and actually it's the same technique I used writing the book, um, five o'clock, the witching cocktail hour in this house uh, is, 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 is six o'clock. But, mm. um, my dear friend who I dedicate the book to, Nicky Henson, yes. um, because his life was getting shorter and he knew it, um, he, decided that the witching cocktail hour in his house was going back to five o'clock right. <laughs> and then he could have an early night about eight o'clock. Anyway, um, so five o'clock, a glass of white wine, mm -hmm. a sort of medium-sized glass, only one, okay. um, and learn for half an hour. Right. Um, I, I don't know why, but I've... I, I, I always, mean, always associated uh, learning lines with a, with a glass of wine. But... Thankfully, only one. And, so, and only one. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, and never before I say them out loud. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that, you know what that, that ticks off in my head? This is kind of jumping forward a bit. But I wonder, has that always been your process? Or is that slightly informed by Roald Dahl? Because oh, when yes. reading your chapter on Roald Dahl, which yeah. I, can't, I really want to hear the stories. Yes. There was one particular thing you mentioned, which was his... Very strict daily routine. Absolutely. Right. So he would. I, I, I might be getting this wrong, but go and start writing at nine. He did. In yes. In his chair with a, with a in the shed with some wood across his lap. That's right. And then again, sharpen his pencil. Sharpen his pencil. Uh, uh, yeah. And at twelve thirty, perhaps it was, he would come in, prepare a lunch. Everything was like timed out. Absolutely. Right, including the evening writing and then the snooker and stuff that you'd play. Yeah. Do you think that that has impacted? You or did you yes. really have something in place? Um, or it I'm sure it did impact me. I'm, mm. I'm absolutely certain it impacted me. But but you to take you back, I did only ever do half an hour a day, <laughs> and that was from five to five thirty. Right. Right. But I did retain it. Um, yeah. But yes, no. I mean, Roll used to actually at twelve thirty when he came in from his shed, he'd he'd taken a thermos flask of coffee out with him and and, um, and a, kit a kit cat normally <laughs> um uh, all down the table uh, where we were about to have lunch was was piles of chocolate that my daughter emily my older daughter emily cates and my daughter um and uh, um her great friend l lifetime friend sophie mm. his uh, royal's granddaughter um they were allowed to eat as much chocolate as they liked and you know it, it's it's classic I, and i know you are going to guess the end of the story but mm. to begin with they just ate chocolate right. of course they did and then they sort of didn't and then mm. they'd occasionally have some and mm. but because it was 
totally allowed, if not encouraged. Um, there was no, there was no naughtiness about right. it. Right, no taboo. Um, and um, so you just reach a natural limit of like, you know what, I can't eat any more chocolate. I can't eat any more chocolate. <laughs> no. We've all of, felt that. Yeah. Please let me have an apple. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so you so he, at 12.30, 12.30, he would... He um, comes rolled, leaves it, on his lap. <laughs> leaves on his lap. He would have... Um, he would have a large gin and tonic um, and listen to the world news while we prepared a salad or whatever we were right. having. And um, and then uh, he'd go back out to work at 2 o'clock mm-hmm. and by 3.30 the, the gin and tonic had kind of worn off and he was mm-hmm. a bit sleepy. Right. And he'd go up to his room, uh, his bedroom, where round the walls he had Henry Moore uh, drawings of sheep um, which, which I don't know, you know how people count sheep, sheep when they go to sleep. Yeah. But he had the complete set of Henry Moore's drawings of sheep. Um, and he would sleep until five. And then he would go out to his shed again from five until six, typing up on his old army typewriter mm. the, the pages he'd written or the page or two or three pages mm. he'd written in, in pencil. Mm. Um, uh, and that would be the finish of the day. Done. That was done. That was done. I mean, it, it clearly was a formula for success because he was God, he very was prolific and what yeah. a brilliant writer. I mean, how did you? Because you, you worked with you owned a business I, with him. No, I didn't months? own a business. No, okay, I'm asking. No, he, well, me, it, it, you're close. Um, he asked me to help him start an antique business, and he wanted yeah, to call it. <laughs> he, he wanted to call it um, Darlin Burke, and I said no, no, no. I said you know. I'm an actor. I'm an unemployed actor at the moment. Because right. I, I mean, he said he said to me, um, I, I, so I was invited to lunch, or uh, Emily and I were invited to lunch, and uh, he said to me, "What are you doing at the moment?" And uh, I said, "Well, I've just finished um, eighteen months at the National Theatre." He couldn't have been less interested. Right. <laughs> he didn't even ask what place I'd been in or anything. He said, "So you're out of work?" <laughs> so I said, "Yes." He said, "Come and have a look at this." And he took me out into. Um, he had a, a swimming pool that he built with his great friend, his gardener, a guy called Wally Walter. Mm. Um, and they they built it themselves. I mean, they dug it and cemented mm. it. and and and. But anyway, it, it was drained out from water. Mm. And round in the, in the pool itself and round the side of the pool, it was uh, a wonderful collection of 18th century English furniture. Awesome. And um, <laughs> I said, where did this come from? And he said, um, I took a horse box. Um, to France uh, with his girlfriend, uh, who he ultimately, of course, married, uh, Lizzie. And um, he he said, all the furniture that is stolen in this country, all the best furniture that's stolen in this country ends up in France. So it's my mission to go to France to buy it back. Corral it. And, <laughs> corral it and bring it back and sell it. And he, I, I said, well, that's a lovely, you know, is, is that um, lovely knee hole desk? Is it fruit wood? And, 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 he, and he said, God, you know a lot about antiques. I said, No, I don't. I know absolutely nothing. But he, he, he said, Well, start a business with me and we'll learn together. And actually, the reason for his business was to start a business for Theo, his son, mm-hmm. who had been hit in his pram by a, um, a New York taxi uh, and had water on the water on the brain right. and this 
stimulated two things. Um, Roald Dahl uh, invented a... It, it, uh, you read in the book, yeah, didn't you? it blew With, my mind. Uh, well, he said I to a doctor, I, I, I don't suppose they do. Um, but he said to this uh, doctor, he's got fluid on his brain. And the doctor said, yes. And he said, I want you to drill a hole in his head and drain it into his neck. And the right. doctor said, we absolutely cannot do that he yeah. said i'm his father and i'm insisting you do yeah. and it's named after the doctor who did it and and roll yeah, I've, I've forgotten Dole. the name of the doctor yeah wade, wade that's Dole. right yeah. yeah yeah and it's still used today it's still used today it's incredible i know i mean what a strange story but well it saved Roll. it saved theo's uh, life and and um theo is 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 a perfectly intelligent gentleman he's very right. bright um it, he it takes him longer to absorb information mm -hmm. than than us, perhaps. Okay. But once he's got it, it's there. Right. Um, and he wanted to start a business for him that if he was unable for any reason not to open the shop, right. it, 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 the, the fruit wasn't going to go off or the right. cakes weren't <laughs> going to go stale. You know, yes. it was it was a genius idea for a uh, for a business. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I worked with him for six months and and got to know and like him very much. What was he like as as a, as a he, man? He was. He's a bit he, of a mysterious character. I feel. He is. He was. Um, he uh, he didn't trust everybody, um, mm. and he didn't trust everybody's motives. Mm. Um, uh, he used to. Uh, Say, oh God, I've been invited to dinner, but oh God, I'll have to sit next to. Oh, they'll want me to. Oh no, I won't go to that. You know, so I, I've, I've avoided the names <laughs> yes, <laughs> to yes, protect yes, the innocent. Yes. But um, but you know, he, he he didn't think that he'd been invited because he's good company. You know, he right. thought, oh, they'll, they'll they'll have a motive for this. Right. Um, so he didn't trust everybody, but if he did trust you, uh, he trusted you totally. Right. He gave me uh, a checkbook uh, to buy whatever I saw that I thought would be wow. worth worth buying. You had um, the whole bank account. I had no. I had a a a, a, a bank yeah, account. Uh, no, at the time, <laughs> at the time, um, he had seven. Uh, sorry, fifteen million in his bank. Fifteen or seventy million in his actual bank account. This was nineteen eighty two. Right. Um, and uh, he gave me an, a, a checkbook to an account with £75,000 in it so that I could go... I mean, that's a fortune now, but I mean, it was a, right. a in shed the load. In 80s, though, what, it would be 10 times that today? Something Probably, like yeah, yeah. Well over half a million anyway. Right. Right. Um, but we would go to... Um, we we'd go to Christie's or to Sotheby's, mm -hmm. and um, we'd be bidding against mallets for uh, the last thing we we bought was uh, a pair of Chippendale library chairs, <laughs> and we got them for four thousand pounds less than Roald was prepared to go. I would say I was prepared to go. It wasn't my money, but um, I mean, I tried to dissuade him from me going in. To business with him because I said I've got nothing to yeah. contribute <laughs> except enthusiasm, you know. 
Anyway, um, we we got them for four thousand pounds less than we were expecting, or he yeah. was expecting to pay, because our markup was just ten percent. He owned the shop. He uh, he it was his money he was using. Right. And and Mallets, who we were bidding against for these two, um, their markup is a hundred percent. So oh, um, uh, and they've got a very posh shop in in in, in Bond Street. But mm. but they we we got them to a point where they were not going to be able to get double for, for it. Um, so so, um, so we had a very good celebratory lunch. Um, that was a day he wasn't uh, writing. But it was very, very, very rare that he didn't write. If ever we were going out to eat or anything, mm. it was always after six did he ever share any of what he was working on with you or, or talk about oh he was it? writing was oh god did he um he was writing the um bfg uh, while we were working together the um, BFG. and he he um he said to me come 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 with me he, he started to tell the girls about um about this friendly giant who breathes dreams through girls' bedroom windows, <laughs> and um, and, uh, and the book is dedicated to to Sophie, mm-hmm. uh, his granddaughter. And um, uh, yes, yeah, so he, we went out to his garage and mm-hmm. and got a ladder and put it up to the girls' window. They, they'd had the, they'd been primed with the beginning of this story, mm-hmm. and when he thought they were asleep, um, we we got a ladder in which he climbed with a sort of car rug over his shoulders and he had his mother's ear trumpet um <laughs> now uh, which he was using as a sort of <laughs> megaphone but do you know that those ear trumpet yeah, you know yeah. he held them in the ear and, and and said that people spoke down this right. uh, tube you know yeah, it was, it, of, very uh, effective primitive learning listening aid yes it was a hearing aid it was it yeah, was a hearing, hearing aid, aid. Yeah. uh and he had this old kind of hat on and stuff, so he he dressed it well. Um, and we we lit him from behind. He had a he had a sort of arc light in his in his garage mm. for work, working on it. Actually, no one ever worked on his car. They were always brand new BMW Seven mm. Series. But but um, but anyway, he had a light behind him, so he looked bigger, and he rattled. Mm. The, the bedroom window and, and breathed through and the, the kids the kids sort of were semi awake I don't know how it kind of worked really yeah. but the following morning he said now we're going to continue um, and they said no, what the that? last night it happened it happened last night uh, and so I mean no, he, he, he could cast a spell he mm. really could he used to write uh, messages for um, the girls on, on, on his lawn in in Weed Killer with a stick. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> messages from fairies or whatever. So he was a kind of a magical person in some ways. He was. Yeah, he was, and sense. and also incredibly direct and down to earth. Mm. Um, I remember um, getting a phone call while I was there from uh, my mother and father, uh, and. Uh, uh, it, they were saying, sort of, what are you doing in a moment? I said, I'm working with Roald Dahl on um, antiques and things. And, and they said, well, what, what about the acting? And, and Roald took the phone and said, he's on the dole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there wasn't any sort of airy, fair, well, I'm going for a few jobs. <laughs> Although that wonderful chapter of my life, which was six months, yeah. um, I had always said to him I would, would go back to right. acting. And uh, he said to me, um, 
he, he, I, I, I met him one day in a house in Knightsbridge. I can't remember under what the circumstances mm-hmm. were, but I was going for an interview mm-hmm. that day. And uh, um, he said, well, why are you dressed up? And I said, well, I've, I've got a job interview at Granada Television. Um, it's, uh, it's a series uh, written by a man called Anthony Minghella. Now, Anthony Minghella wasn't Anthony Minghella then. It was no. 1983 now. And... Um, uh, he said, oh, you really want this job, don't you? And I said, well, yes, I do. He said, well, you've polished your shoes. I could tell you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, I always said to you I would go back to acting when I got a decent offer. Mm. Um, and he let me go with his blessing, um, I have to say. Um, he was absolute gent. Mm. Um, but, he, I, I mean, he 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 had very, very few friends. Mm. Um, but the friends he had, he... Held to him with hoops of steel, to quote. Uh, there's, there's something to that, guy. isn't there? Yeah, and he liked real, real people. He right. he didn't like the the glitz and the glamour. Although, of course, his first wife was Patricia Neal, an Oscar-winning mm. Hollywood film actress, an and, actress, yeah. um, and 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 a That's, wonderful one, and a wonderful, yeah. and she was a wonderful woman. She was a real character, Patricia Neal. She was it's wonderful. It's it's just extraordinary. I mean, it must have, you know, because I'm thinking like. For some people, that's their dream, sort of working with a great, a literary great, perhaps. Um, and in in another in a parallel universe, you know, Burke and Dahl, this was your life. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. But you, you know, you had to follow your own passions. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? And, yeah. I mean, you know, actually, is, it, it was a lock, but it not. Was my great chum, Nicky Henson, who we've both worked with together, haven't right. we? Yes. Um, uh, he said to me, uh, I had quite long hair and a sort of rather rather nice sort of um, velvety corduroy jacket I was oh, wearing. Wow. Looking at every inch <laughs> of the part of the antiques. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he said, he said, listen, matey, he said, you look like an out-of-work actor. Get a haircut, get a job. I said, well, I'm, I'm an in-work antique dealer. And he said, listen... <laughs> You and I'll open an antique business when we can't act anymore. Now get back to acting. So it, it, that was that was it. And 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 also I, I'd done all that I could possibly do. This was all the kind of setup, you know. Right. Um, uh, it was it was a lot of fun though, mm. and, and it was a great privilege um, being in his company. He was a he, he was and is a great man. The bliss of the abyss is here now. So rewinding a bit. You know, we said perhaps not the most studious, and I know you, you got three O levels. So I want to. I say got three O levels. So not and not, and maths the second time of asking. <laughs> so <laughs> a career in academia at that point was, was unlikely. Shall very we say. unlikely indeed. Um, and so you were sort of you'd always loved acting, and you thought, well, yeah. let's let's write to some places and see what can be done. That's right. Um, but you didn't quite work out the way probably you dreamed because you ended up being a stage assistant stage manager. A, a student assistant right. stage manager. And it sounds like you worked pretty hard for, for yeah. that period of time. I was. I was. What at was Lincoln, like? Lincoln Theatre Royal. Was that a bit, um, you know, because you're close to the action where you want to be, but you're on the sidelines. Were you sort of... I, I did play some small parts. Right, of course. Um, I, was, uh, um, I was 11... Different characters in in the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> uh, sort of dancing skeletons and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and a munchkin. I mean, I don't think I had any actual lines. Right, it was all a bit physical. So it out. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> um, 
I did. I did play the German soldier in in Journey's End, and that that actually yeah, is a nice yeah. nice part. Yeah. I've sort of thrown down some steps and, and and said some German words and looked terrified. That was easy easy to do. <laughs> the, the, we we improvised all that, and they terrified the life out of me. The other <laughs> actors said, um, but uh, yes. Um, but basically, I, I yeah no, I was I was there to do whatever needed to be done, right. um, yeah. and I, I was paid three pounds a week, um, uh, and I turned up for rehearsals in the morning, and I, I was on the book, or I was running out buying props, or yeah. I was um, uh, helping in the wardrobe, or helping in the scenery department. It was a Just, really really good yeah. experience. Yeah, three pounds a week, but. Um, it, it, they they had two companies at the theatre, so it was fortnightly rep, really. Right. Um, and one company was out on tour mm-hmm. while the other company was in the building. So right. there were lots and lots of changeovers. Yeah. Um, and I used to average £7 a week. And we, we got a pound every four hours overtime. And the overtime started at one o'clock on a Saturday morning. So you know, sometimes we did 37 hours on the trot. Just uh, it was, it was, but I, I kind of loved it, and mm. I, I got nothing to spend the money on because right. I had no time to spend it. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you bought the next pair of trousers that were high waisted or <laughs> bell bottom. I nearly started a business at, at Lincoln Theatre Royal actually because someone in the wardrobe department, I was buying. It, it, it was again 1968, so mm. it was a period of. Um, I don't write about this story in my book, right? Right. but um, but it was in the days that people wore grandpa vests um, okay. and 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 tie dyed them. Right. But it was the wardrobe mistress of, uh, at Lincoln Theatre Royal who had a, the wonderful surname Wild. Hmm. Um, uh, she, uh, sadly, she's now dead, but but she and I started a business in, in tie-dye. Hmm. Um, and it's very, very easy to do. Um, uh, so we were doing grandpa vests, and we were selling them for a, a small a pound or something like right. that. Um, actually, probably not that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, and then... We we worked we we expanded our business and we we used to buy sailors' trousers, mm-hmm. uh, which are all well, uh, bell bottom, very, yeah. very wide. But yeah. she tapered them at the top to the knee and then let them be wide okay. underneath. Um, and they were sixty seventies look, right? Very 60s, trendy. It was yeah. sixty eight, um, right. uh, and we were ahead of the game. Yeah. So uh, they had buttons up across. It was a button fly, mm-hmm. if you remember, with kind of flap. Love a button fly. Love a button fly. Actually, um, they must come back into fashion at some point. Oh, I'm wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but they were Maybe they were buttons all across your tummy all and then the, down, the you know, wow, like yeah, yeah. sailors' trousers yep, 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 yep. in white. But we tie dyed them. Mm. I had cause to be down in London uh, um, and stayed with some friends that I'd been at, uh, at, at school with. Mm. Um, and I was at a party at their, their house wearing my tie-dye T-shirt and my tie-dye, and <laughs> tie-dye wow. um, sailor's trousers uh, in brown and, brown and white. Kinda, okay, you cool, know, cool. But all the patterns that they yeah. come out when you take the string off. Anyway... Um, this guy came up to me and I said, um, my name's Bo, I'm in fashion. And I said, really? Uh, he said, yes, I very much like your T-shirt. Mm. 
do you do that yourself? And I said, yes. He said, good. Um, if I provide you with the T-shirts and pay you a pound a T-shirt, will you make these for me? Uh, how many do you want? I said, he said, 3,000. I'll pay you three thousand pounds. Jesus! In uh, nineteen sixty-eight. Nineteen sixty-eight. That must have been. So that was enough to buy a house. That's got your head spinning, presumably. That got my head spinning. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you, I would only need some canisters of gas and and some burners and and you know you'd have it all going and right. you could. I mean, it's it's. Um, yeah. And I said to. Um, uh, Ms. Wild, uh, uh, I said, listen, we've been offered um, a, a pound a t-shirt um, and he's going to provide us with the t-shirt, so a pound for the work, uh, £3,000. What should we do? And she said, how long does he want? I said, oh, I forgot to ask. He said, I, I'll need them within three weeks. Because um, uh, he was realising that um, you know, it, it, it was the trend about to, and he, about yeah. to. So that's and I rang him up. I rang him up and I said, you know, I, I, we, we can't do it. Can we start a scale? Can we, yeah, you know, yeah. We, we can't do it. It's and he said, okay, well, I offered you. And I said, yes, you did. And thank you very much indeed. And um, within three weeks, the whole of the King's Road was awash right. with tie-dye t-shirts <laughs> in triple colours and, you know, Extraordinary, um, and they were all grandpa vests, and right. I, I, he bought them out. And you didn't, you didn't get a penny from it, Peter. I, 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 I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I've lost two fortunes in my life. Um, I thought you might bring this up. I think I have an idea where you're going. Next. <laughs> Is, are we talking zero point five percent? We're talking zero point five percent. Yes. Well, if you want that story, now I would or not. love that story. I think it's a great story. Yeah, go ahead, please. So, so that was my first fortune. My um, um, nineteen seventy-five. Uh, I come back. To uh, the house I'm living in in Upper Billsley, just outside Stratford, and my wonderful agent Peter Crouch is on the telephone. Hello, darling. Uh, I've got an interview for you tomorrow tomorrow morning, darling. I said, interview tomorrow morning, Peter. I've 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 got a I've got a matinee. I've got a. He said, I know that, darling. That's why I made it nine o'clock. Uh, you're the first person they're seeing. Um, I said, where is the interview? He said, 20th Century Fox, darling. It's uh, in Soho Square. It's parking there. You is parking there. You'll you, you'll get back in plenty of time. <laughs> anyway, so I I I barely slept. I drove down um, for my first first film interview and uh, I parked at Dewley in Soho Square and mm. I walked in on the dot of nine o'clock and I walked into the casting office and this lady was sitting behind a large desk mm -hmm. and a gentleman scuttered out in the side of the room and uh, uh, she waited a bit and she said um, right he'll he'll see you now mm. and I I went in and uh, there was a guy actually laying carpet round the side of the thing, so he was going, "Don't mind me, you know." So I'll just, uh, I, I, I won't be long now. And and this man who was uh, interviewing me, auditioning, whatever we used to call it in those yeah. days, um, was looking at an empty desk, and he was um, he was a little bit like Woody Allen. He was slightly nervous, and uh, mm. he said, um, uh, "This film is a." a uh, as a cross between the uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and the uh, and the Four Musketeers, 
And I laughed because it's the Three Musketeers. Yeah. So I went, oh, he said, he, he said, he said, do you, uh, do you think it's funny? And I said, well, it, it does sound amusing. He's good, good. It, it is supposed to be funny. He said, um, what's your American accent like? And I said, well, it, it's, it's really good for an English, Englishman. Right. He said, well, we, we may dub you anyway, but, um, thank you very much indeed for coming. And um, did you I, did you read any of the lines? Nothing, just, absolutely nothing. Did, I, they, I, did they give you a script? I, they had seen me as the boy in Henry V, or the casting right. people had. Um, uh, anyway, I Sorry. got in the car and I drove back up to. Just uh, thinking, well, that was a kind of waste of time, kind of thing. Yeah, because it sounds like I, I, one they and didn't done. even put a camera on me or anything. Right. Um, anyway, so. I get back, and and normally you hear, don't we, uh, within the next twenty four hours. Yeah. And I didn't hear anything for three days. So you can't uh, think more. I, well, that's we that's go. that. And you know, it was a nice drive, and I got back in time. Great. Yeah. Um, and then Peter rang me up, and he said, um, "Hello, darling. You know the interview you did the other day." I said, "Yes." He said, um, "They haven't offered you Luke Skywalker." I said, "Oh." He said, "They've offered you a gold robot." He said, um, uh, "Anyway, so I've turned it down." Mm-hmm. I said, what, "What do you mean you've turned it down?" He said, "Well, they're not even going to see your face, darling." He said, "It could be a shop assistant in Woolworths." And it is absolutely no. <laughs> Woolworths was around at the time. <laughs> All of us have been lucky to get a job there when we're out of work. But anyway. Um, uh, so I said, well, w- what have you turned down? He said, it's a film called Star Wars, darling. And um, they were they were only offering you £100 a week for five weeks and uh, and, and half a percent. So anyway, I don't think anything's going to happen to it. Uh, so anyway. Unbelievable. So uh, I, I, I turned it down. Um, was and, there no inkling in your mind that no, maybe... No, just, he'd, right. he'd seen the script. Um, yeah. It, it, it was going to use the... The special effects people from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. It was shot at Pinewood. Yeah. Um, um, it, it, it didn't sound anything. Right. Um, and, and I was going to the States, going to New York with Henry V, uh, right. with, with the RSC. Um, and I thought, you Spurred know. in the hands. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and as I say, my face wasn't going to be seen. Right. So I get back from New York. Yeah. Uh, having having turned it down, and they said um, uh, they rang my agent, and they said um, they'd like uh, Peter to to dub the film, uh, the first film, and then play the gold robot in the second film, which is already under you know under, in development. Yeah. In development, um, and they said they would pay me. I think it was fifty pounds an hour dubbing again and and i would be on half a half a percent and i mean even 50 pounds an hour now isn't too bad for no dubbing, no it isn't you know but back um, then it would have been a... and i i said to my agent which i genuinely felt i said listen the guy's done all the work yeah if they've made it they heard his voice yeah why get me to dub it i'd why? just be awful yeah. for him to yeah. go into a cinema sit with his arm around his girlfriend right. Uh, or, yeah, or, or exactly. go with his parents, this or whatever. Is me, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, and then this voice comes <laughs> out, you know, or <laughs> a version of this voice comes out. Anyway, well, it sounds um, kind of not too dissimilar, does he? So it's a strange he, move by them. Well, um, know, I never, I never told that story until one day I was driving my car, and I was parking up. And the guy who did play it 
um, was being interviewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, well, I very, very nearly didn't make the cut, he said, because they didn't like my voice. And mm-hmm. they they asked, you know, someone to dub me. Um, he knew so because he knew i was able to tell the story otherwise right. it, otherwise it, it, of course it's not it's, yeah yeah it's judice isn't it yes um, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. So, so well i've done some maths peter yeah because i know in the book that you say that you don't want to know what you <laughs> oh, missed crikey. out on by no. not being c3 <laughs> would you like to know <laughs> roughly <laughs> is this including the little maquette you know the little <laughs> figures or, or just just just, just a half a percent. It's just the three films. It's just the half a percent. So it's probably a bit of a conservative calculation. <laughs> a rough estimate. I'd put it at 30 million English pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit more than that, I think. Oh, my giddy yes. Well, anyway, so there we are. Could have been C3. But then I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been at the Globe now, and um, yeah. I wouldn't have done all the other things I've done. Yeah, so. it's one of those things of, like, you, you know, it was a life commitment. Yeah, yeah. And how could you have known? No. And I and the first film was you know mocked by lots of people. It's not like it was, but it was very popular. But the critics panned it. Yeah. Um. And who know? You know, why would a space opera take off and become the biggest thing in the world? No. There's no way of knowing that, is no, there? So absolutely. you just and you know you're 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 doing Shakespeare. I'm not going to be a gold robot. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic story no it is a lovely it's that's a why lovely i thought story. it was so it wasn't harrison ford that's why i thought it was harrison ford because do you know harrison ford's story no who eventually played um han solo yes of course, of course. yeah he was spielberg's carpenter so oh, no you didn't know this I so didn't. in your book i thought you were doing a little nod to that because there's oh, a guy no. in there laying carpet oh crumbs. and literally harrison ford was his carpenter and no. lucas was like you know what there's something good about you do you want to play this role and he was like i'm not sure he's like no no you'll be good that's, that's where his thing started. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that. Extraordinary. That's amazing. I know so many actors' stories. <laughs> I did not know that. There's a little Gracious. one for you. Wow, thank you very much yes. for that. Well, there we go. You might not have a fortune, but you've got a tidbit on Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of moments like that in this book. I do have to say, I did love this book. Stop me if I've told you this before by Peter Burke, available at the Globe Bookshop and online. I loved it. It's a Thank great you. book full of Thank lovely you. stories and you have an effortless sort of charm and wit. And there's so many things, uh, you know, we won't be able to cover them all. That's why you should buy it. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Wild, right? Yeah. They're, they're, I assume it's not spelt with an E. but No, of no, no. The importance of being earnest is named after, Algernon is named after one of your ancestors. Gosh, well, and you did just, read the book, didn't you? Of course I read the book. <laughs> and that's just dropped in there. It's like, wow, that's fascinating and like... He, this, he this. was, um, Algernon Burke was the uh, recorder of Cork, which meant sort of judge of the area, um, and the Earl of Mayo. And he and his wife, or girlfriend originally, then wife, uh, Gwendolyn, came over and bought a house called St. Mary's in Bramber, mm. down near Shoreham, on, just inland mm. from Shoreham, and, and, and not far from Worthing. Mm. Um, and his great friend from his days in Ireland, and, and particularly his days in Dublin, was was Oscar Wilde. And Oscar Wilde used to come down at weekends to this beautiful old. Um, it had been a, a, a monastery, mm. uh, um, and 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 a wing of it had burnt down. And and Algernon um, 
built a music room um, for Gwendolyn, who played the piano, uh, uh, to do recitals and for them to have, you know, and, and Oscar Wilde to be a raconteur, and, you know, it's sort of just house party kind of thing. Yes. Um, anyway, um, uh, Algernon and Gwendolyn are the two characters from uh, um, The Importance of Being Earnest. Yeah. And also, uh, the other characters are named after the railway stations that Oscar Wilde went through, <laughs> Bracknell being one, on the yeah. way to, on the Worthing line, or the Brighton line, it, it is a quote from the thing. So, but the other the other characters are all the... Um, so, but Lady Bracknell is, is yeah. after Bracknell. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. Um, yeah. And it's such, such a great play, obviously. And it's... An extraordinary it's play. So it's funny. one of the greatest plays really of all is. time. I yeah. I have a great affection for it. And, and um, my father, who had Alzheimer's laterally, mm. uh, laterally rather, um, he couldn't really follow uh, theatre anymore. Mm. And, and we went to see The Importance of Being Earnest. And because it's funny line on line, yes. he was laughing the whole way through. Mm. without. He didn't need, need to follow it. Right. It, it's funny, a it's genius funny. piece of writing. It it's a genius piece of writing. And it's wonderfully self-effacing about yeah. everybody. Yeah. How no. nice to be associated with it. Well, well, I mean, I didn't know Al Algernon because he was... Uh, um, yeah, of course. He, he was dead before I knew. A long time ago. How did you find out that... I, I have a, a theatre company uh, called Fair Play and we, we toured um, Sketches by Boz, which are um, a series of playlets really mm. that, that Charles Dickens wrote um, um, we adapted them um, uh, or rather Robert Butler um, ex-theatre critic um, adapted them for, for the stage mm. and we were asked to perform there and when I got there um, uh, with, with the troupe um, and all our wonderful costumes and props mm. um, the guy said do you know why you're here have you read this book and I said no and he said um, well it's about an ancestor of yours um, Alton and Burke who used to have this house and um, I thought it'd be lovely to have one of his uh, relations um, mm. give a performance here <laughs> so that's how I that's how I heard about it the bliss, the bliss of the abyss it's here now, now. should we do that story because we, we can that's so funny so it begins I mean, obviously, you tell the story, but it begins with you being invited to dinner. That's right. With Margaret Thatcher and her cabinet. That's right. But how, Peter? <laughs> that would, well, um, um, uh, uh, Nigel Havers and I... Um, did For people who don't know, who's Nigel? Yes, uh, Nigel Havers is an uh, actor, a uh, very good actor. Yes. Um, uh, and I did a, a series um, called Nicholas Nickleby. He played Nicholas and I played Smike years and years ago, and we mm. became friends. And his father was uh, attorney general in Margaret Thatcher's government. And he had been, if people remember, um, subject of a, of a bomb from the IRA at his house in Wimbledon. But fortunately, he was away that weekend at a house he had up in, cool. in, uh, up in Norfolk. Um, and because he was bombed out of his house, he was the MP for Wimbledon, but, but also attorney general right. um and and a very good barrister a barrister who defended the uh, rolling stones on their drugs charge oh, really? and very successfully <laughs> um he he was a he was a gr 
great character. Yeah. Um, and he was um, uh, Lord Carrington, who had a, a fabulous flat uh, overlooking the Mall, said to Sir Michael, he said, um, you, can, you can use my flat until your house is put back together. Yeah. And it was um, Sir Michael's turn to entertain the cabinet. It, it was, it's a, you know... It, it was a sort of social do, mm. but, um, you know, a bonding experience. Or they, right. they took it in turns. Mm. And um, in those days, of course, you were, you were given a job in your skill set. You know, he was attorney general because he was a great lawyer barrister. Well, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why they've got the system in place now where it's like, uh, do you want to be the education minister? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I suppose so. <laughs> yes, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much is there? Um, of course, they didn't get paid very much uh, right. MPs in those days. But anyway, yes. so back to... Um, so I I arrive... Um, he, you know, the reason he asked us all yeah. was he, he thought that he'd break the cabinet up with with actors, um, it, it, entertainers, it, hopefully and they're dinner yeah. party, maybe lighten the mood so that we're good not... at small talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so um, so did you get like a nice little sort of monographed envelope, or was it much I, more informal than that? Um, no, it was more informal than that. Um, we you were invited by yeah, we were invited by Nigel, yeah, um, and um, he had um, he had said to each member of the cabinet, "Who's your favourite actor?" and and um, uh, Margaret Thatcher said her favourite actor was Peter Bowles. So, right. of course, Peter Bowles was invited. Right, of um, course. I don't know if I was anyone's favourite actor or whether I was just Nigel's friend. Or, <laughs> or but anyway, I had a dinner jacket and, uh, I, you know, I got there. And um, I arrived. I, it was exciting. Yeah. It was exciting. It's um, right there in the halls of power. Exactly. But yeah. you, you, and also, they... They'd seen us all on telly, you know. We right. we we were all we'd all been on telly a fair bit, mm. so they, they were much more interested in talking about that than than um, uh, us quizzing them on what their plans were. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I come out of the lift, and 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 Sir Michael always called me, um, or Michael always called me Smike because of the character I played. Right, and he said um, he, he gave me a hug, and he said, "Stay where you are, Smike, because." Um, the prime minister's in the in the next lift so um we'd all been security checked and you know under even the the minicab that i arrived in augustus car number three from brixton here on uh, acre lane um had you know the uh, looking glass underneath the car and and all those things anyway um so he said stay where you are my go um our prime minister's just about to come out of the lift and um she came out of the lift with Peter Bowles. And Peter uh, was wearing a beautifully fitted uh, lounge suit, but the rest of us were in dinner jackets. <laughs> and, um, it, 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 that didn't matter at all, right. of course. But um, he, he said, um, Lady Thatcher, um, Prime Minister, can I introduce you to Peter Bowles? Peter Bowles, can I introduce you to our Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher? And he said, we have been intimate already. Cheeky sod. Cheeky, because they'd been in a lift together. And she said, no, we haven't. (laughs) And strode off into the far distance. And she was sat next to him for the whole evening because, but she sat with her back to him the whole evening and talked to anyone else. Yeah. 
It's it so was funny. it was very very sad and very funny. Well, did you never get the proper introduction to her then? Because oh, I was, I did. She, he, but I was introduced as Mike. You, yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> you might have seen him in Nicholas Little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And she was like, "Oh, nice to meet you." Yes. Kind of thing. Yeah. And then yeah. She, no, didn't see the funny side of it. She then. didn't. Oh. But <laughs> she did have a sense of humour because when she um when she uh, posed for um, her bust mm. uh, uh, um which is that wonderful bronze in the lobby of the House of Commons mm. uh, by Anthony Dufour. Anthony was also um, sculpting a minor uh, uh, at the time. Ooh. And wow. okay. and uh, Both sides of the debate then. Exactly. <laughs> she said, the irony of this is not wasted on me. Yes. And when she... Um, uh, when they unveiled the, the statue, uh, Anthony was there, of course, and she said... I might have preferred iron, but bronze will do. <laughs> but the nice story about her posing for him, and she did often um, at his studio in Streatham. Mm. Um, he had a friend who had a studio in, in Chelsea who said, no, you, I can't get Margaret Thatcher up to Streatham. But he said, well, that's where my studio is. and mm. I've got the job. And, and she left her... Um, I was going to call it uniform, but uh, various of her kind of power suits yeah. and handbags and things behind, so that other people could could wear them for him to do the material and 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 so on. But but she was there for a lot of it. And he said, um, Lady Thatcher, I would like to. Um, I'm I'm sculpting your mouth at the moment, and um, your mouth will look more beautiful if you are saying something beginning with B. So will you say something beginning with B for me? And, and uh, he said, uh, she said, yes, uh, Britain. <laughs> and he said, would you say something else beginning with B, Lady Thatcher? And he said, yeah, she said, yes, Great Britain. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, she had a definite sense of humour. It's, and, it's, it's interesting because as I was reading the chapter on um, Maggie, um, I actually found out about this thing. Have you heard of the Thatcher effect? No. So it's this really strange thing. It's weird synchronicity. I was reading your chapter, yeah. and then something you know, popped up on the internet, and I was like, so there's this thing. It's They use it in psychology. Right. So have a look at these pictures. I'll, I'll share this uh, for the podcast. On So yes. So these are the same images. Yeah. Two images. One's flipped upside down. Yeah. And what this does... So you might not have noticed, but see how the features are upside down? Yes. But when she's flipped up, it doesn't kind of look like they are. Gosh. But then when you turn upside down, it's very clear that they have been. So that's a mirror. But this one looks strangely more normal, even though it's upside down. Doesn't it? Gosh, that's extraordinary. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. That's anyway, very, very weird, isn't it? It's something yeah. about it's to do with face blindness and social cues and the way that you recognise people or don't recognise people. Right. So you're kind of primed to. It's the same science of you know where, the way that we see faces and everything. You see like an oven and it's yeah. got the two things and a line underneath it, and you think, oh, it's a face. Yeah. And, or people see you know Jesus on their toast or whatever. It's right. something to do with our psychology that we recognise faces and all kinds of faces Gosh. that they're not. Gosh. Interesting, huh? Whoa. Whoa. There it is. There it is. Now. Is Liz Truss going to... Is she? I don't know. I hope not. I <laughs> she's, hope not too. She's bringing, she's bringing some Thatcher energy with her, isn't she? She is. She's definitely trying she that. She is. Uh, it seems like she's going to be, though. <sighs> I don't think Rishi's going to win. I don't either. Um, 
and then what is it? Two years until an election, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. strap in, is, folks. Is is Boris gonna? Boris. Is he going to reappear? I think it would be unlikely that he just recedes, given his no. his temperament and yeah. past behaviour. No. I don't think so. Uh, the, the latest rumour I saw is that he's going to get a, a column in the mail. In the mail? In the mail. Apparently the Telegraph are, are done with him. Right. So we'll get to read his stuff in the daily. Yeah. Apparently. Uh, apparently, he does write his stuff. Yes, I that's mean, what I've heard uh, as well. Um, yeah, it's not uh, um, he, he doesn't always get it in on time, and it's all a bit <laughs> no kidding, scrape whatever <laughs> and something else. But um, but he he it, he does actually write it. Yeah. Oh dear. Oh dear, indeed. Oh dear. I know. How did we get onto this? Oh, that's my fault. I brought up politics. Yes. Let's yes. T- let's let's go ruder. How about yeah. this? Because yeah. you've told one story, sort of hinting at rudeness. Yes. But there's another story in the book that is perhaps a bit more blue. Yes. Um, involving the legendary Sir John Gielgud. Yes. One of the most famous actors of all time. Yes. Yes. Do you know which story I'm telling you? Yes, about? I do. Yes, I do. No, this um, is very funny, funny enough. There was an article <laughs> on this book in in the Telegraph, and it was it, it was picked out <laughs> picked out by uh, by the Telegraph. Um, um, yes, um, my Kate Nichols's father was a very distinguished actor called Anthony Nichols, mm. um, and he was someone I was sent to watch acting by my tutor at RADA. Mm. He said that is great acting. Also wow. in the cast was uh, Sir Lawrence, um, right. um, uh, but he said, you know, that is great acting, um, and. Um, so they were they were all great mates, um, yeah. and uh, they were the founders of the of the National Theatre. National Theatre, yeah. Um, and Anthony uh, was at a party with with Sir John Gielgud, um, and uh, he was to meet his new boyfriend. Right. Um, Although they wouldn't have been able to say that. No, at the time. no. But that uh, that was that was the it was the understood. reason that was understood. Yes, and. Um, uh, and uh, they had a lovely party, and it was lovely food, and and so on and so forth. And uh, as Anthony Nichols was leaving, he said, um, it, "It was really lovely, Johnny, to 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 meet Rupert." And he said, "Rupert, who was Rupert?" And he said, "Well, your your new boyfriend." And he said, oh, no, oh, dear boy, no, no, that's not Ru- Well, <laughs> no, Rupert is what we call his cock. <laughs> and and uh, he said, well, that's how you introduced him to me. He was full of gaffes, was, was, was yeah. Sir John. Um, I, 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 one story that came really close to home, I was, um, I was working with an actress who he had put up for a job. Uh, and uh, and he's um, she came late to to rehearsals, mm. and uh, she said um, we said how did the interview go, and and she said um, it, well it, it went fine, but I I phoned Sir John afterwards uh, and said you know thank you for the introduction and 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 you know it, it went really well, and he said oh oh good I'm I'm so glad to hear it well well well. Pray Athene Sila gets it. She needs the work. <laughs> so he'd obviously put a half a dozen. 
<laughs> so I mean, he was he was known for that. And, and Timothy yeah. Bateson, who was working on that series with us, um, said, "I've got a Sir John story." And he said, oh, "What's that?" And he said, "Well, I met him on a railway station, and I asked him how he was, and he said, oh, 'Oh, I'm terrible. I'm really I'm exhausted, and it's all this travelling, and I just need somewhere somewhere in London to live. I mean, it, it wouldn't matter how pokey and small and." infested with rats it was i mean anything going in your block <laughs> so that but he i whether he knew what he was saying right. or not i don't know yeah he he went to see um he went to see richard burton in his first attempt at, at, at hamlet and he hated it and he thought he was dreadful and when he went round to his dressing room he, he there he was in his in his just in his underpants and mm. he said oh he said dear boy um I, I, i'll come back when you're better i mean uh, <laughs> when you're dressed i i mean i thought you were frightfully good <laughs> um, um so uh, but that story had a happy ending because he ended up directing him as hamlet um he and sir lawrence mm. sir lawrence directed o'toole and and he directed richard burton and they had a kind of shootout at ok corral mm. hamlet apparently they were both excellent right. i mean in different ways but yeah. incredible but sir john would have given him line readings with that lovely voice that he had <laughs> amazing voice yeah amazing voice. i mean it's 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 great hearing those stories because you know there are lots of funny stories about especially that that is the word cadre? Am I going to say that word? Yeah. Maybe pronouncing it wrong. Um, no, I think it's right. Of, you know, O'Toole, Olivier, Gielgud, these, uh, Schofield, who you also yeah. mentioned. Yeah. And it's sort of, some of them are too good to be true. You feel like it must be apocryphal. No. But they're not. There's, they weren't. They, they were real. I mean, and they bought all that to the stage with them. Right. Um, it, it's taken me 50 years to learn that actually bringing yourself on stage is what is mm. required now. Mm. Um, bringing yourself to the part rather than the part to you. Um, um, and they, I mean, a lot of them had that. I mean, Sir Lawrence was the master of disguise and, and yeah. prosthetics and, and all yeah. those things. But my God, he could inhabit and set the place alight. Mm. Um, the, 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 another, I had, uh, Sir Ralph Richardson had the dressing room next door to me at, at the National, and, and there's lots of stories in the, in the book about Sir Ralph. But, but my, um, one that I checked and double checked with, mm. with my dear friend Edward Fox was that, um, Sir Ralph came home from early rehearsals one day to his beautiful house in Regent's Park. Um, he had two wives. One was called Moo and one was called Mo. He outlived the first and, and married the second. Oh. And anyway, it, the, uh, the wife in question, it, it, I'm, I'm not sure which wife it was, but he came home from work early and he shouted up the stairs, Hello, darling, I'm home. And um, no reply. Uh, darling, I'm home. And, uh, no reply. So he starts to climb the stairs and he goes into his bedroom and finds his wife in bed with another man and he solemnly goes to his dressing room and out of his sock drawer he gets his army revolver at which point the guy is climbing out of the window and down the wisteria and he puts two bullets into his army revolver and he fires two shots into the garden and he turns to his wife and he says 
I think we both need a gin and tonic. <laughs> and nothing more was said, that and was they it. lived happily ever after. And the guy was obviously wasn't killed. Right, no, he, he frightened him off. He wasn't yes. going <laughs> to come back again. And I, I, I checked that with Eddie, and he said that's exactly as I heard it from his agent, word for word. But that, I mean, there, you know, it's so what a wonderful solution to a problem. <laughs> God, it says all that needs to be said, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> if he if he liked you, Sir Ralph would say, uh, um, one night you you must come and meet my friend Gordon, because uh, he he comes to the theatre, and uh, so you tap on his door and you say, um, Sir Ralph. Um, you said to come and meet your friend Gordon, who was in tonight. And he said, oh, yes. He said, would you like him with tonic? <laughs> <laughs> and he himself would pour a very large right. gin and tonic yeah. and drink it straight down. And then he'd pour himself another and tonic and start That's sipping the sipping one. Yeah, right. and he'd Do say, and, and, and now for pleasure, he said. <laughs> <laughs> but that was to bring the ship into land. But they don't make them like that. Or perhaps no, they well, do. I, I mean, I you know, is Mark Rylance? I mean, he's well, wonderully charismatic. I mean, if charismatic. you see his performance as Rooster, oh, you come can on. imagine Whoa, he is. Come it's on. one of the most incredible things. It's one of the best I've performances seen it twice. I've I ever seen. I saw the original and I've seen the revival. And it's just as good, it's just apparently. As good. It's Ten good. years later. Yep. And he still stands yes. on his head in that. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, I can't please. tell you. It's one of those where you, you don't breathe, do you, no. when you're watching that good Your stuff? Your whole theatre doesn't breathe. No. Everyone is like, oh. I know. Just, I know. Just, and somehow Absolutely. all of that oxygen that we have had taken out of us, he is embodying. It's yeah. just this incredible. He's, it was the first proper play that I saw since they since lockdown lifted lockdown. Right. And what a, right. What a powerful reminder of what theatre can be. Oh, my goodness. You know? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's just incredible. No, it, and, and great that he's revived it. Yeah. I mean, he didn't need to. No. But, no. I mean, to do it and to do it just as well as that, having had an Oscar in the meantime, yeah. and, you know. God, yeah. he's a good actor. God, he's good. Yeah. You're super, right. He's super probably I, I think generation's. Yeah. And, and there, are, there are lots of... I, I, I was... I mean, I was at school, uh, drama school with some really, really fine actors. Mm. Um, and I mean, Jonathan Price is a cracking He's actor. He's a brilliant actor. Cracking actor. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think there is probably less of those kinds of stories about actors today because... Well, there's so much social yeah, media. They, exactly. They, they can't keep their mystery anymore. No, um, exactly. And in, it's uh, all out on display the whole time, so... I know Jeremy Irons from way back, and, mm. and um, one of the last times I saw him, he said he spends most of his time publicising what he's done. 75% of his job is publicising the film that he's just been in. Yeah. Well, when you're being interviewed by someone, if you're being well interviewed, you, you give away some secrets about of yourself. Yeah. Or, willingly. Some, some behind-the-curtain uh, stuff. Exactly. generate interest. Yeah. So, so all that kind of hell-raising that yeah. used to happen, or things, all that kind of mystery, and mm. how much did that ring that Elizabeth Taylor received from Richard Burton cost, really, and, and yeah. all that. I mean... Um, that that was the stuff of legend, but now people are much more. Yeah. Um, well, it's again, it's bringing yourself to the party, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's interesting because you know, like you said, when you go on stage, you kind of, you know, instead of bringing the part to you, you bring yourself. 
to the stage and particularly at somewhere like the globe there's, right, there's 1600 people out and there all around want, and you had to share yeah um it, it, you can't do a, a, yeah. a, a wonderful thing um Noel Coward said about acting he said it's better to be heard than to be good <laughs> and, and you can be as good as you like there but you've got to be heard <laughs> uh, and you've got to share um yeah. and there are people all around you and up above you you know yeah. um yeah, so um, in a way, people know... You're much more, more naked. People. You're much yeah. more naked. Yeah. Speaking of naked, this is something we share. What? What's that? Having been naked on stage. Yes. I was yeah. in a production where I was naked. You, you were in a production where you were naked. On, on telly, I was. Right. And yeah. it was kind of... The way it reads in the book is like they kind of tricked you a bit. Well... Uh, is that right or uh, am I mischaracterizing? Yeah, well, that's good. Um, I want to hear your story first. <laughs> well, it, it was different because I was literally on stage... And in the round, yes, and I'd put you know night after night fully, Naked. fully nude. Yes, it was very classy. It wasn't a sex scene or anything like that. No, so it was a bathing scene, right? Ritual bathing scene. But yeah, it what was, was the play? It was called the Mikva Projects by yeah. Josh Azuz, who's a fantastic playwright, right? Um, increasing in stature the whole time, um, and uh, yeah, that was my that was my role. It was because it was in the round. Getting in and out of the pool was a very heavily choreographed moment. Of course it was. So that nobody saw Too anything. Much. Yes. Yeah. You know, even even naked, there's there's naked and then there's really everything naked. Yes, there is. And uh, yeah, I was trying to kind of play the line. I really, I really didn't have an issue with it. I'd be interested no. to hear yours. I didn't really care. Um, no, I mean, um, Freddie Jones, uh, who uh, coincidentally was in Nicholas Nickleby with us playing playing crumbles and he had just done um claire the the poet and mm -hmm. he'd been naked in it on mm -hmm. on 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 television and uh, one of the actresses said you know you were so brave to be naked in that and and freddie said in his wonderful voice he said I'm naked every time I go on stage. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether I'm wearing clothes yeah. or not. Which was, I mean, it was it was said slightly tongue in cheek, right, but but you you are you are yeah. kind of exposed, aren't you? Are. Mine mine was it was was um it was very seventies. Mm. It was very experimental. Right. It was in a series called um it was in a series called Churchill's. Penis. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Churchill's people, um, and and it was it was it was kind of history, uh, and this was the Pilgrim Fathers, um, and it a lot of it was against white screen, and um, this was nineteen seventy four, mm -hmm. um, and it was directed by a genius director called Donald McQuinney, mm. um, and I, I, the only person they could to look like me who was younger had brown eyes mm. um, and they asked me contractually whether I would wear um, brown contact lenses right. um, and I said no, I absolutely would um, and, and that was the only that was the only thing right. and then when I got to re the, the scene in question was two two naked characters mm. uh, both me but talking to myself naked in my head while I was sitting naked on a bunk in in a, in, in the Mayflower because mm. it was, it was uh, Pilgrim Fathers um, and 
No one had ever, you know, so when we rehearsed, we rehearsed with clothes on, of course we did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it had to be very meticulously rehearsed because it was cut away to camera the two different figures. Right, so the And there was no cutting together. It right. was It was superimposed. Right. Um, and so it was meticulous. Yeah. And it was very still. Um, yes, of course. Um, but one had to get it right. Yeah. Um, so... All the concentration was on that, and and we rehearsed it well, and and Donald was incredibly helpful, mm. um, and uh, then we came to record it, uh, and I was in my dressing room because I had the main part. I was in dressing room one, which of course, if you're in dressing room one, you're probably almost never in there, yeah, you know, except you're in a break, yeah. you know, you getting on with the acting. But um, anyway. So there was a call over the over the tannoy. Um, this is a closed shop. This is a closed set. This is a closed set. Um, and I thought, oh, then it is. I am. I am going to be naked because because you know one, one one was aware. So I I went out in a in a dressing room right. and and said, no one no one is needed here except uh, the makeup artist and uh, and. Um, I have. I suddenly feel what felt what women go through because I, mm. I took my. Um, fortunately, it was a warm room, but uh, <laughs> I I took my uh, um, uh, dressing gown off and 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 sat down to 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 visit. But it was extraordinary how many people felt that they needed to angle. Right. I know. Suddenly. I know. I know. <laughs> absolutely. But anyway, I had I was more nervous about the acting than yeah. than, than anything else, and That's right. and of yeah. course I never saw it because um, uh, I don't know if there is a, is a recording of it, but but I, uh, when it came out, um, it was called America, America. But when it came out, uh, I was on stage and and had no right. no we had no recording equipment, yeah. so I I never. Never that was even it. before VHS, or that was um, no. The there, time, there, or? It had, there was VHS then. Yeah. You're absolutely right. No, there was. Um, my father was mm. lent a VHS recording machine for for in in 1974 by a patient of his who was um, the Baby Sham millionaire. Oh. Um, uh, <laughs> and upstairs in the house here we have. The camera that he gave my father, which made the Baby Sham advert. Really? Yeah, a huh. triple lens Bolex. Wow. Um, um, I can't give my address out now. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's hidden away <laughs> under the floorboards. But yes, no, it, it, so no, it would have been possible to record it. It just never, right. I you never just, got to see didn't. it. I never yeah. got to see it. Well, one Christmas, you'll get a little <laughs> yeah, absolutely. from me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Here is your. DVD um, exactly with some bonus extras. Um, I wanted to. I, you've been very generous with your time. I won't. I won't take up too much more time. But I wanted to talk to you and the audience and reminisce a bit about um, about Bang Bang, which is of yeah. course how we met. Of course we did. Um, and we were yeah we were in a play together in Chichester. We were directed by your great friend the late Nicky Henson. Incredible, and with Sarah Crowden, who's been on this podcast before. Oh, and, good. And good. various, various lovely people: Ollie Cotton, Simon Hepworth, etc. Jess, yes. Um, Caroline Lang. I mean, now I'm going to have to list every. No, no, but Caroline Langrish. Yeah, but yeah, yes, super. Um, I'm just curious, sort of some some of your treasured memories of that time. I'll share some of mine. And well, share some yes. Of yours. Um, I, 
I I was aware it was uh, I, I was aware John Cleese was was adapting a French farce, and yeah. and and Nicky would say, "Oh, I'm, I'm you know I've been working with John and 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 so on and so forth." Um, and there were various kind of readings of it, mm. um, and I never because we were best friends. Yeah. I mean, literally best friends. Yeah. I never. I never interfered with any of it. Right. Um, but suddenly one day he, he, he had two more parts to cast. Mm. Um, obviously not, <laughs> not yours because no. <laughs> I wouldn't have been eligible. <laughs> but, um, um, and, uh, he said, uh, listen, do you want to be in it? And I said, yeah, of course I'd love to. I'll, yeah. I'll play whichever part you want me to play um and he said well i i think you'd be wonderful for the friend from the country and as you grew up in the country i'd like you to do it with a somerset accent which was never on my mind (laughs) um and i um it's very when you know someone really really well Mm. i I think it's probably quite hard to direct them and and to see them doing things i mean um when one watches friends uh you're seeing your friend doing something exactly you're not really a very good judge of no, of of, no. of of what they're you're too like. invested in them as a person yeah. and their life and, yeah you know their struggles their successes outside of that exactly you kind of can't remove that no 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 yeah. no um but uh it, it but it was a wonderful chance to to spend time together, yeah. and it was very close to the end of his life, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and we were back sharing digs, uh, yeah. driving together, all the old gossip, all the old stories. Um, and it was very nice for his his wife Marguerite to know that someone was keeping and keeping an eye on him. So that that was a, a part of the job as well. But mm. it it turned out well, didn't it? It, I, did. I, it really did turn there out was well. There was such a bonhomie. The group was so together. Absolutely. And we used to go to the pub and just stories after stories after stories. And you don't always get that with a company. You don't. You don't. Um, it's it was I don't know what it was. I think I think a big part of it was the fact that you and Nikki were there as this unit, you know, being I able to so. spend time together in a professional but also just chum way yeah. in a yeah. way that it's one of the good things about working with friends is that you actually have an excuse to spend a lot of time with someone that you'd want to anyway. Exactly. And, and also, I mean, there's there's no hurdles to get over between you and and, right. and the performance. Right. Tell, me, tell me one of your stories. Uh, okay, let's think. Um, <laughs> okay. This is, okay, this is a bit dark. Yes, we'll go there. <laughs> Let's go there. So me and Simon Hepworth were sharing yep. dicks. Yeah. Um, and we were, we were becoming fast friends, so we were having a great time. Yes. And um, uh, we were drinking late into the evening one night, mm. and um, we'd run out of booze. Yeah. And I was like, I think, I think the lady has something. We'll <laughs> oh, replace my it. goodness, yes. We'll replace it. Um, oh, dear. So we raided her cabinet. Yeah. And... Uh, um, he then so we were pretty drunk it was pretty late and we had a performance <laughs> you were drunk enough to raid her cabinet yes it was bad <laughs> would, I don't it, think it, it ever was yeah. replaced actually yeah. oh, <laughs> which is very terrible but you'll see why um, anyway it was it was, it was was late and uh, Simon wanted a cigarette so I joined him outside for a cigarette and uh, and then I was like oh we have to remember to feed the cat yeah. she was out of town right and she her thing was when I'm out of town please feed my cat so I fed the cat and watered the cat and we went to bed. 
Now this cat was the oldest cat I have ever seen in my life. It was not a day younger than 20 and rickety and it couldn't meow anymore. It just oh. kind of made this kind of, kind oh, of hollow dear. sound. It was oh, very affectionate. Yes. It was a lovely little cat. And I liked this cat a lot. But, you know, probably not good for it to be staying up till three with me inside. <laughs> not that I was breathing cigarette fumes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and booze. So anyway, off we, off we go to the theatre the next day, slightly worse for wear. But and we come back and um, I'm like, Sam, can you see the cat it's not touched its food? And we had a little look around, but couldn't see it anywhere. And, uh, you know, it was one of those days where we had a matinee and an evening performance. So we were only in, in um, digs for a little bit. I was looking around, couldn't see the cat, a bit strange. Anyway, topped up the food and the water. Off we go again, we come back, and we'd, we'd already been to the pub, you know, like we always used to do. Yeah, absolutely. Had, had all the stories. It's called de-rolling. De-rolling, yes, exactly. Well, we did a lot of de-rolling that, that um, run. Um, but again, the cat food again had not been touched, and and the cat was nowhere to be seen, Ooh. and the cat was never seen again. Oh, and you know, I was texting this lady, being like, "Strange, the cat hasn't touched her food. Is that normal? You know, does does she ramble? Does she disappear for a day? Because she has." <laughs> um, and she was like, "No, that's very strange. Anyway, we'll be back, I'll be back tomorrow, kind of thing." And she came back, and the cat was still not there. And she blamed me. Oh. And lost her shit. Oh, God. Really yelling and oh, screaming gosh. and telling, saying that I killed her cat. Oh, God. Now, did I help with the cat's... Demise? Demise? I don't know. I, I no. like to think I was stewarding it quite well. Yeah. I was giving it pets and giving it food and water. And it was so old. But I didn't want to say to her, I'm sorry to say your cat has probably just no. walked away and died. Well, they, Which is they, something they, they do. Yeah. They do. They do. Oh. But um, she was like, right, you have to leave. You have to leave. I'm kicking you out. And um, I never did leave because she was like, she disappeared the next day and kind of didn't come back. She only came back twice more and every time would be incredibly frosty. But she kind of didn't force me to leave. And I said, yeah. right, well, give me a few days to find... Something place. else. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, oh, you know what, whatever, kind of thing. But then just every time I saw her, she was just like ice cold stare at me. God. And uh, I never did replace her rum. Oh, dear. <laughs> Nor her cat. <laughs> no. Oh. But it's kind of one of the most extraordinary God. stories it, from... It's terribly hard looking other, after other people's pets. It's it is. such a responsibility, yeah. isn't it? It is. Oh, gosh. I know. I slightly dropped the ball. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, of course, one of the more fond memories is um, actually during our rehearsal. So before we went up to Colchester, where it was, we went to the pub. And it was in Pimlico, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. And Just near Pimlico Tube Station. It was, exactly. And it, it was one of those evenings where people had filtered out and it was just me you and Nikki at the mm. end, yeah. just drinking and telling stories. And that's when I found out, I mean, I asked him about Faulty Towers. Yeah. You know, I got some behind the scenes about that. And, and I was getting to know you and seeing you two as like old mates. And it was just like the effortless kind of thing. And, you know, you and him would be buying me drinks and that's very generous. And we, we stayed until closing and it mm. was just 
It was an extraordinary yeah. evening. Lovely. It was so nice. Lovely. Yeah. He used to uh, teach at Lambda, and um, it, it latterly got a lot of pleasure out of that. Mm. Um, normally on a Friday, and then he'd take his whole class or his group mm. uh, to the pub mm. uh, and tell stories. Mm. And other tutors in the building said, latch on to him <laughs> because he is the real deal, yeah. you know. Listen to those stories. I'd like to have been a fly on the wall on, on, on those occasions. Although I'm sure I'd heard several of the stories I'm guessing, before. I'm guessing, yeah. One of the great... I mean, I, I write about him quite extensively yeah. in, the, in, in the book. And uh, um, and people will know him from, you know, the 60s movies and, and uh, his time at the National, his time at the RSC and all those things. But... Yeah. but um, I suppose Faulty Towers is one thing he'll be remembered for, and and of course being the original cast of Noises Off. Yeah. When he used to do an entire flight of stairs and slide along the stage and have his Incredible. his feet over into the orchestra pit, yeah. and now they break the stairs down. If you've ever seen subsequent productions, there's a sort of little flight, and then you, yeah. then a little flight, so you yeah, can so break your foot. You you just sort of trip a bit. Exactly. But he used to go head over heels. And out into the, out into the audience, and a bit like not knowing um, that I was going to be naked or whatever. Right. Um, he he kept saying to Michael Blakemore, who was the director, uh, and Michael Frayne, who wrote it, yeah. uh, and Michael Codron, who <laughs> produced it, the Michaels. Um, he said, "It says you fall down the stairs." They said, "Oh yeah, no, we're getting the stairs. No, we we, we ought to start doing that." And they built the set and the stairs. And 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 had a guy come and kind of help him. Someone who knew about it, stunt right. coordinator. Yeah. They're now intimacy directors, aren't right? They? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, stunt coordinator. Um, but yeah, no. And the first time he he fell down a flight of stairs was when his dad, who was a great actor manager of farces. Um, mm. The Oldwich farces were all his, and and all those regular fast actors were all his great friends mm. as indeed was Charlie Chaplin and anyone else around at the time mm. and Nicky lived in a house out um, in Harrow mm. or his family lived in a house out in Harrow and a shiny wonderful oak staircase mm. and when his father had parties Nicky used to listen to the what was going on and smell the cigar smoke coming mm. up the stairs and one time he slipped on the stairs and came down the entire flight um it slid in his pajamas uh, and he got up and he said i meant to do that <laughs> and i think that was his introduction to show business uh, and that's why fast was in his bones that's why fast was in his bones i remember the first day of rehearsals he said with fast you have to reverse it back to front so everyone up on their feet and let's get going and yeah. then we'll do the bookwork later Yes. I thought it was such a refreshing thing it, to do. absolutely right. And it was absolutely right. It was finding the moments and the beats and the rhythm of the jokes because you can sit and look at a book all day and not yeah, get that. Not and get as soon that. as you're in a foot, you... No. You know, you still... And he was still game. He was still up and being he like, was, don't fall like this. Yeah, and absolutely. It was incredible. So uh, yeah. it was a great privilege to it was to an to absolute it. treat wasn't it yeah and, and that was a side of him i'd never seen before because he mm -hmm. didn't direct very much but right. you can't get anyone to direct fast better than, than mr henson 
Um, it's, it's such a shame Cleese didn't get to see it. Yeah. Because um, yeah. he'd had a hip operation. Hadn't he had, he? yeah. And he wasn't right. he wasn't really mobile. No, he was stateside and because and of yeah. the operation he couldn't come. Yeah, I remember we, we had a video call with him. We did, but um, I mean, but you can't turn anything on a of video. Of course not, no. Um, and and I... I, I I would love him to have seen yeah. what, what came came out. I, I really would. I don't think he saw the revival either. You know, they did a... They did down in Exeter, but didn't that close down because of the pandemic? Uh, I think so. I think maybe, maybe third time lucky. Or maybe third time lucky. I believe he still owns the set. I, I'm sure he does. It's a beautiful. It was a beautiful set. It's, it's a beautiful set, and it's, um, and it's solid. Which yeah. I mean, you can't play. You can't play fast on a wobbly set. You, <laughs> I mean, <that's, laughs> that really is B touring or C or I don't know what's below that. I don't know. Perish the thought. <laughs> This has been an absolute treat. Hasn't it just? It's been lovely to catch up with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you and so much. And extraordinary for that you show. you interviewed Kate. I mean, yeah. Did, was that about her her well, two books really? But under the Camelthorn tree. Yes, that's had, one of them. Had you read? I that? hadn't. No. So this was a complete coincidence. Um, I, so, you know, you're talking about um, what do you call it? Painting windows? No, what was it? What was the money job that you do? Oh, oh well, uh, window cleaning. Window cleaning, sorry. <laughs> yeah, or painting. painting. Yeah. yeah. Anything so, that pays. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things I do is is tutoring, right, when I'm not doing acting. Right. And um, I was just looking around for new resources on the web. And I just come across this website. It's this woman, Kate Nichols. I go, oh, she's yeah. got some teaching stuff. Oh, God, does she? Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't know the story. I hadn't heard of her before then. No. Um. But then I'm, I'm clicking around the site and I find this resource. I'm like, this is, this is good. And I'm just kind of curious about the site because she, she lives in Italy and she runs these programs. I'm like, that's quite a unique thing. Hmm. And then I click on like about, you know, it has like a mini biography and it's like, yeah. well, she worked in the theatre yeah. and then she gave it all up to go and live with lions. That's right. And I thought, well, you don't read that every day. <laughs> no, do you don't. No, you don't. So I just reached out to her just with an email being like, really interested to read about your story. Would you like to be on the show? She responded, yes, we set it up. And Did you do and it I, I over, over the over phone? Zo- over Zoom. Yeah, over, over Zoom. the internet. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Um, or was it? No, just the phone, I think. I don't think we did video. Right. And I just... just chat to her she's book. fascinating it was it's worth story. reading her book actually right. under the camel thorn tree yeah um it, it's a absolutely stripped jack naked mm. piece beautiful writing mm. beautiful writing yeah um and Amazing. she got her kids when she was studying the lions she got her kids to write a book called the lion children yes which became a bestseller and yeah. and they've sold the film rights to it a couple yeah. of times but i i, I don't think, I don't it's, think been it's, no, it's, not, it's not been made no it's not been made no i don't think it's but it won't have a date. It's it's no, it's it's, it's, a, it's a piece because it's such a yeah such a unique, strange, and she had amazing stories. And she about. taught um, all her children under canvas. Yeah, uh, and they all went to top universities. Yeah. One of them getting the open scholarship to Stanford University. And Kate, like me, I mean, one of the things we have in common is we have three O levels apiece, you know. <laughs> um, but she is able to teach people to an. Inc- incredibly high standard right and i mean i guess it comes back full circle where we're talking about your school yes yes sort of instead of having a curriculum and it being like test 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 it's just like just go with the natural curiosity and 
Yeah. As you said, she she taught them all that without a school structure and their no. Ivy League and Cambridge and all of that stuff. That's right. And 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 um, um, her her daughter got a a first in fine art at Trinity Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, just remarkable. Absolutely staggering. Yeah. Um, yes. No. It it has uh, <laughs> a destiny that shapes our ends, rough hew them though we may. And do you know, when I was doing Hamlet in the Sam Wanamaker, the script we were using said there's a divinity that shapes our ends, rough you them and the way man. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't, I, the, I didn't get O-level literature, God forbid. No, no I didn't. No, I, I, I got divinity, yes. Yeah. I, it, Is that a different folio then? Is that why... It must have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I both are right. Yeah, as a destiny. Yeah, as a destiny yeah. is, is great, yeah. It's great, isn't it? It's great. And do you know what it is? It's it's um, it's a hedging term. Uh, and I um, um, so I get a phone call from Edward Fox, great mate, and he was laughing. And I said, "What's going on, Edward?" And he said, "Well, you know, I promised to replace the hedges um in in on the Isle of Purbeck, round my house and and anywhere else they wanted." He said, "I, uh-huh. I was going to fund that myself." And he said, I've, I've been growing these little saplings and this hedger has arrived. And he said to me, in West Country accent, he said, well, Mr. Fox, do you want to rough-hew them or shape their ends? And what you do with these saplings is you cut them part way through so they bend over and you weave them in and out of the other ones you bent over. Uh, my, my, my jaw just dropped. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. There's a destiny that shapes our ends, rough hew them though we may. So you 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 can cut it a little bit or yeah, you can cut it nearly th- And what's who I, came first? Is it the chicken or the egg? Shakespeare or the hedging? I think I think the hedging. <laughs> We're only talking four hundred years ago, aren't we? That's true. I think there have been hedges around been for hedging a while. longer than, yeah. than shaky. Gosh. <laughs> Do you know I I am now on my sixth production at uh, at the Globe yeah. and my Goodness, he writes well. Uh, it's just I mean, we're doing the Tempest now, which is his last, the, said mm. to be his last play, and and um, it last said that solo he play, last yeah last solo play That's exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but but he played Prospero himself, and our revels now are ended. Was him signing off and retiring. Well, thank, thank you for a lovely morning. Oh, thank you, Pia. This has been such a treat. Thanks for thanks for coming on the on the show. Um, well done. Send me all the links and I'll put all the stuff up. But um, lovely, lovely. Thank you very much. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please give us five stars and consider becoming a subscriber and maybe even supporting us on Patreon. Really, really, really helps me continue making this show. Uh, if you haven't enjoyed it, then you can. Many, many thanks to Neil Tennis Steer for the amazing music and to Dave Fox for the cool artwork. Please keep coming back every week for more Bliss of the Abyss.
message. Message 1.